In reading Chesterton, as in reading MacDonald, I did not know what I was letting myself in for. A young man who wishes to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. There are traps everywhere. This is Pints with Jack, season five and a half, episode one, Chesterton and Lewis. Hello everyone. You might have noticed that it is currently December, yet there have been no episodes for season six yet, despite what we said at the end of season five. Uh, in, in the end, it turned out that we just needed a little bit more time to get our new audio set up. So we bumped season six to the start of January, literally the first week. But we didn't want to leave you entirely bereft of episodes. So what follows is an interview that I had on the Uncommon Sense podcast, which is the official podcast of the GK Chesterton Society. I talk about Lewis. I talk about his relationship with Chesterton. There was more to say, but we didn't want to make it too long. And in this interview, I mention an address I gave to the Oxford C.S. Lewis Society, which I think I will post next week, just so you've got something to listen to over Christmas while you're sipping your brandy in front of a roaring fire after having eaten too much turkey. Anyway, without further ado, here is my interview on Uncommon Sense. On this episode of Uncommon Sense, we are joined by David Bates, the host of Pints with Jack, a podcast dedicated to C.S. Lewis. We'll talk all about C.S. Lewis, bring in Chesterton, and more. That's all coming up on this episode. Greetings, welcome, thank you so much for joining us on Uncommon Sense, the official podcast of the Society of G.K. Chesterton. I am Albert Sines, joined with my wonderful co-host, Gretelyn Darkey. Gretelyn, a good morning to you. Good morning. Before we get into the main show and before we welcome our guest, we want to make sure that we welcome any and all of our new listeners and give you a couple of upcoming announcements. Uh, coming up in December, we have a set of fun episodes waiting. We're going to have a Charles Dickens episode. It's going to be Chesterton on Dickens on Christmas. So be on the lookout for that one. As well as a Christmas-themed staff episode. Get a chance to meet and hear from some of the staff at the Society of G.K. Chesterton as we all share some of our favorite Christmas memories. As always, don't forget, if you like what you hear, leave us a review, hit the bell on YouTube, subscribe, any of those things that allow us to keep coming to you every single week. So let's get right into the show. And as I said, we are joined by the admirable, the excellent David Bates. David, welcome to the show. Hello, guys. It's great to be here. I have my breakfast pint since it's nice and early in the morning, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> Is there Wonderful. any other way to start the morning with, without a pint? I, if there is, I don't know it. Maybe with a, um, a cup of tea with some, uh, some Baileys in it. 
Well, actually, that began several hours ago when my son woke up at 5 a.m. Uh, uh. So this is practically mid-afternoon at this point for me. <laughs> so, uh, David, be before uh, our audience wonders uh, who it is really that we're talking to with, with obviously the most excellent voice in the world, uh, can mm -hmm. you can you fill in the gaps for our audience? Who are you? Where are you from? Uh, why do you sound the way you do? And uh, and how is it that you are a podcast host for all things C.S. Lewis? Okay. Well, my name is David Bates. I was born in England, which is why my words sound this way. And yes, America, this is how words are meant to sound. Uh, it's the King's English after all. Um, <laughs> no, I moved to the States about 15 years ago, I want to say. All of my friends were in their sort of mid-twenties getting mortgages and settling them down and that felt terribly grown up and I didn't feel ready for that, but I felt like I should go and have an adventure. So I decided to go abroad and work for a little bit and since I'm English, I didn't want to have to learn another language, so that meant a former colony. <laughs> and I'd already been to Australia, and I uh, that was quite a way away, and I didn't think that my mother would really approve of that. So <laughs> I thought I would go to America. So I came here. I started working in D.C. and then San Diego and then Seattle. And then when I returned to San Diego a few years ago, I met my wife, Marie, uh, then Dixon uh, from Pints with Chesterton. She didn't have it yet, uh, but uh, we met. Uh, she flirted outrageously with me until I asked her out. And <laughs> then we got married during COVID and we have uh, a son, Alexander. And then uh, a year or two ago, we moved to Wisconsin. We are part of that great California exodus. And so we moved here and so did most of Marie's family and this is where we are in La Crosse, Wisconsin. As for the podcast, I grew up with C.S. Lewis. Not literally, but my, my mother and my sister would read the Chronicles of Narnia to me uh, all the time. It is really the earliest thing I can ever remember being read to me, particularly to keep me in the bath because I was a little boy. And as we all know, <laughs> little boys dissolve in soap and water, so they want to get out of baths as quickly as possible. Uh, and so what my mother would do was she would put me in the bath and then read me a chapter of the Chronicles of Narnia because then I would at least be in the water in contact with the soap for at least that period of time. <laughs> and I was a huge Narnia fanatic. I had a little plastic push-along toy. It was a lion. Needless to say, he was called Aslan. I went to various stage productions of the Chronicles of Narnia that my mother took me to in Oxford. And uh, I was also... Uh, uh, of the age that I could watch the BBC adaptation of the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, the ones with the six foot beavers. Uh, I could watch those live on TV. And then I didn't really touch Lewis again after about the age of 10 or 11, school got, got in the way. Uh, but in university, my faith really came alive. And after university, I joined a church and um, was really throwing myself into my faith. And I was babysitting for some of my friends from church. And uh, they had asked me to look after their four children. They were not called Peter, Susan, Lucy, or Edmund. Um, <laughs> and it was a kind of a strange choice because I, here was me, a bachelor. I have no idea how to look after children. Uh, I'm the youngest, so I never had to look after uh, any siblings. 
so I sort of just did what my mother did. I bribed the heck out of them. So the deal was that <laughs> if they had brushed their teeth, if they were in their pajamas, then they would get a chapter of the Chronicles of Narnia before bedtime. And that really reintroduced me to Lewis. Uh, I was babysitting them regularly for a couple of months. So we got through that book. And then once that was done, I bought a complete set of the Chronicles, consumed them all again in about a week. And I was now at a stage in my life where people said, oh, you know, he wrote other things as well. And so that's how I got into mere Christianity, the great divorce, the screw tape letters. And then when I had moved to the States, I was at a party in San Diego. And as I want to do at parties, I was talking about C.S. Lewis. And that was where I met my future co-host, Matt Bush. We, we had a moment that Lewis describes in The Four Loves. The beginning of friendship is a, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. That, that sort of <laughs> moment. So we, we, we had that, that moment and I had been saying for a while I wanted to start a, a, a reading group to dig into Lewis a bit more. And we just decided that even if it was just the two of us with a coffee or a pint, that would be fun. So we started doing that and I advertised on Facebook, hey, we're going to be meeting at this place if anyone wants to join us. And people started to join us. The downside was... Some people outside of San Diego wanted to be a part of it. And they said, you know, can you Skype us in? And we were meeting at a coffee shop and that seemed like a logistical nightmare. So I said, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> uh, and the other thing is also we were going through the text far too quickly as far as I was concerned. You know, we covered mere Christianity in four sessions. And so that was when I suggested to Matt, why don't we try doing a podcast? Because then we can slow down, take and you know, half an hour, an hour per chapter. And then everyone outside of San Diego can participate virtually by listening to our discussion and uh, we can have an email discussion afterwards. And so that's pretty much how Pints of Jack began. And since then we've done six seasons. We've interviewed a bunch of people. We've had about 325 episodes, I think. And we also picked up a, a new co-host along the way. Uh, Andrew Lazo, who is now uh, a deacon in the Episcopal Church and will be uh, ordained to the priesthood in January. Wow. Whew, quite a journey. <laughs> well, it all began with uh, just some cheap microphones balanced on some books, which was balanced itself on an ironing board. Uh, so that's how it, that's how it began. So it, it wasn't particularly flashy, but we've just been doing it now for quite a while. So we now have nicer microphones and... We, we even have like a, a stand so we don't have to use an ironing board anymore. <laughs> the romance of thrift, Val. That's nice. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious. So you said this all sort of started from childhood and being a Narnia fanatic and then the, the break and then you sort of come back into it. Others tell you C.S. Lewis wrote uh, other things. So, you know, it'd be easy to say, well, you were drawn in initially because of the Chronicles of Narnia. But at this mm -hmm. point in your relationship with Lewis, uh, what is it about Lewis that really continues to grab your attention? Hmm. Well, you're right. Narnia captured me. And it, it captured my imagination as a child. And I would say that's actually something that Lewis still does. He is very much like Chesterton in that regard, in terms of he really values the imagination and injects it into all of his writings, whether he's writing about literary criticism or fairy tales or apologetics. And th that 
that means that his writing is always very clear because you always have images, mental images to go along with whatever it is that he's talking about, whether he's trying to help you understand morality, whether he's trying to help you understand 16th century literature. Uh, he always communicates with real clarity um, and, and also depth. Even the Chronicles of Narnia, which some people just dismiss as children's books, they are incredibly deep. And so much of it went over my head when I was a child. I remember my mother trying to explain to me that Aslan was Jesus. And I just thought she was crazy. No, Aslan <laughs> is a lion. Jesus is a man. That I didn't know what book she was reading. Uh, but the, the depths of Lewis's work, the, the layers in, in, that you can go through in understanding what he's saying just means that 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 you can that you can never stop reading and rereading them and also just to read lewis again much like chesterton is to get a literary education because lewis is referring to all of these authors that i never really heard of or i might have heard of them but i never read their books but when i hear how enthusiastic he is about them and how important they are to whatever it is he's talking about it makes me want to go read them as well um and I also say, lastly, the great thing about Lewis, again, like Chesterton, is he wrote in a lot of different genres. So however you're feeling at the time, whether you're wanting to do more apologetics, whether you're wanting to read some poetry, whether you're wanting to read autobiography, Lewis always has a book ready for you in whatever genre you want. Wonderful. Um, it's funny because I, I find Chesterton easy to read no matter what, but I, I kind of struggle with some of Lewis. I, I, have, <laughs> I love the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, the space trilogy is, is I think, amazing. Um, but, but I personally have not been able to get into his essays and his, uh, you know, his theology, especially as much. But it, I love that you're doing um, a podcast because I think that Again, if, if there was a group to be able to tap into, it would, it would help a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so what kind of going off that, I don't know what your experience is, but like what are some of the insights you've been able to glean just from doing this in the context of, of a group or of, you know, even just talking with Matt? Mm. It's funny. I actually was invited to speak to the Oxford C.S. Lewis Society while we were back in England. It was absolutely unplanned. I'd had some of the people in the area on the show. And so after we had booked our flights, I just said, oh, I'm going to be in the area. And then it transpired that there was going to be a meeting. And then after a little bit, somebody said, do you want to give the talk? And the, I had no idea what you addressed the C.S. Lewis Society of Oxford about. So I pretty much gave the answer to that question. Well, what have we learned? And I would say one of the big things that we've learned is read Lewis slowly. Mm. Uh, it, and reread him regularly. And that's one of the, the big strengths of any kind of book group. Uh, when you slow down and you get to savor the text that you're reading and you, you start looking up some of the references that you're not getting um, and, and you, you, start, you start getting much more out of the text than you would if you were just trying to rush through it and just sort of tick it off just to tell people that, that you've read it. Uh, and so you, when reading it slowly in the podcast, because we typically only read a chapter, maybe two a week. And also when you've got to hit record and talk about that for half an hour, an hour, um, you, you, it makes you just read that text a little bit more carefully because you don't want to look like an idiot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and also you then have not only your fellow co-hosts, but then also listeners, usually who are much more learned and well-read than you are, pointing out things that you missed. 
Because uh, particularly Matt and myself, we don't have degrees in anything even vaguely related to this. Not English literature, not theology, not, not classics, nothing. I was a computer science major and, uh, you know, he also does stuff with the finance, finance markets and computer programming as well. So um, very often we have people writing into us pointing out the literary references that we missed. And that was also mm. the nice thing about having Andrew along. And this is one of the other perks of having a podcast that you get to talk to people who know much more about a subject than you do. And it's very weird if you contacted an author and said, hey, I really enjoyed your book. I want to talk to you for an hour. I'm going to record it. I'm going to listen to it again and again. I'm going to share it with some of my friends. Um, that's, that's, that's weird. That's a weird invitation. But you can say, would you like to come on my podcast? And it's exactly the same thing, but it's much more socially acceptable. And you then get the benefit of talking to these experts and asking the questions mm. about their book and about Lewis's works that you've always wanted to know. Mm. Wonderful. Building that community and being able to tap into it. It's mm -hmm. nice. And, and we have a Patreon account and a, a, a Slack chat. And so we, we talk with all of, our, of, all of our listeners. And there's a lovely community that, that sprung up around it and even the odd romance. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, while, while we're on the subject, do you want to take a, a minute, David, and just let our listeners know how they can find your podcast? Sure. We are very easy to find. We are Pints with Jack on pretty much every social media, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we have a Facebook page and we have a website, pintswithjack.com. And I'm really doing a lot of work on there to try and make it the, the easiest on-ramp that you've ever had. So if there's a Lewis book that you want to read, we have a webpage for it, as well as all of our own episodes, any resources that we found, discussion questions, um, as well as other podcasts that have, have discussed it. So you mentioned, for example, the essays earlier. There's a new podcast that's just started called Lesser Known Lewis, and they are going through Lewis's essays. And so we're doing some collaboration with them. And so I now have a webpage at pinesofjack.com slash essays of every essay that Lewis wrote, which books is found in, and links to all of the podcasts where people are, are unpacking it. So if you just want to dip in your toe into Lewis, this is the easiest possible way. This is what I, I really want. So that people who have n not really read much Lewis or they've struggled a bit, that, that, their, that their journey deeper is made as easy as possible. Because much like Chesterton, it, it helps every now and again if you have a little bit of a leg up and you, mm. you just give given a little bit of context and helped out with just some of, some of the tricky terms and references that you might not get living in the 21st century America. Right. Especially since there's so much, I feel like both Lewis and Chesterton, you're not only sort of uh, drowned once you get into reading, but <laughs> you're drowned even figuring out what to start with sometimes. <laughs> exactly. And and if people are looking for a place to start, I again tell them, what genre do you like? And just go there. And also do not be afraid of starting with the Chronicles of Narnia because they are wonderful, wonderful books with deep, deep theology. And Lewis himself said that when when he was uh, uh, um, a child, he would he would um, he would read fairy tales in secret and be very embarrassed. And he said, "But when I became a man, I put away childish things, and I now read them openly." <laughs> Brilliant. Well, let's ask this really easy and simple question: Why is it pints with Jack and not pints with <laughs> Lewis? Well, uh, Lewis's name is Clive Staples Lewis. But from a very early age, probably about the age of four, 
he insisted on being called Jacksy, or, and, that, and that got shortened to Jack. And that was what he was called among his friends and family. And since all of us on the show regard C.S. Lewis as one of our best friends, we figure we can probably call him Jack. And he was part of a literary group called The Inklings with J.R.R. Tolkien from Lord of the Rings, Owen Barfield, Charles Williams. And they would typically meet in the Eagle and Child pub on Tuesday mornings for a pint and to talk about university gossip. And so we're just trying to reproduce that experience of pulling up a bar stool next to C.S. Lewis and chatting about what he's been writing. You know, I saw that uh, wonderfully captured picture of all of you sitting with uh, Lewis and the other members, <laughs> and uh, I thought that was a fantastic opportunity. I'm really excited that you were able to catch that moment. <laughs> yes, I, I've been working on my Photoshop skills recently, <laughs> and uh, I placed us among the Inklings on a walking tour. Wonderful. Well, here, here's our next question. So obviously, uh, you are sort of focused on Lewis. We are focused on Chesterton. So we can't escape Chesterton completely here. Um, so how did, how did Chesterton really impact C.S. Lewis in sort of his life, in his writings? Is there a very clear delineation where you see, oh, yeah, this is, this is Chesterton impacting what Lewis is doing in his own world? Mm. Well, C.S. Lewis actually wrote an autobiography, a spiritual autobiography called Surprised by Joy. And he mentions Chesterton a bunch there. I looked it up 11 times. So that immediately tells you what an important figure he was in his life and particularly in his conversion. And Lewis was first introduced to Chesterton during the war. He was in hospital. He was recuperating from trench fever. And while his roommate in the hospital was, as Lewis describes it, conducting a furious love affair with one of the night nurses, Jack read a volume of Chesterton's essays. And this is how he describes it. I never heard of Chesterton and had no idea of what he stood for, nor can I quite understand why he made such an immediate conquest of me. Liking an author may be as involuntary and improbable as falling in love. His humor was of the kind which I like best. Moreover, strange as it may seem, I liked him for his goodness. In reading Chesterton, as in reading George MacDonald, I did not know what I was letting myself in for. A young man who wishes to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. There are traps everywhere. So he discovers Chesterton while Lewis is still an atheist. So he was actually raised in the Church of Ireland, but very early on, while he was still a teenager, he became a full-blown atheist. And on his 19th birthday, he is sent to the trenches of France in World War I, gets trench fever, and while he's recuperating, he reads Chesterton's essays, a collection. And actually, when I was at the Chesterton conference, somebody asked us, do we know what collection that is? And not specifically, but I've got a short list of about eight that it might have been. Joel Heck, he's a scholar who's done a lot of work on all of the details of Lewis's life, and he lists them out. Um, but... As, as you heard in that quotation, Lewis also loved George MacDonald, who was also an author who Chesterton greatly admired. Uh, and Lewis always mentions them, not always, he often mentions them in Surprised by Joy in the same breath. He says that uh, George MacDonald had done more for me than any other writer. Of course, it was a pity that he had a bee in his bonnet about Christianity. He was good in spite of it. Chesterton had more sense than all the other moderns put together, batting, of course, 
his Christianity. So, Lewis, you've you've had uh, Joseph Pierce on the show, and he has has a very similar story to Lewis with regards to Chesterton. He really, really liked him. He just tried to ignore all of that Christian stuff. <laughs> but then Lewis reads The Everlasting Man, and that book had a particular impact on him. Uh, and we know that because in 1962, the Christian Century asked. Uh, famous people, and Lewis was one of them, which books most shaped his vocational attitude and philosophy of life. And the second book which Lewis listed was The Everlasting Man. And back in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, he explains that this was the first time that I saw the whole Christian outline of history set out in a form that seemed to make sense. So what Chesterton did was tell him the story of Christianity and made the faith more reasonable to this very skeptical Lewis. And at the time, Lewis had been reading Nietzsche, George Bernard Shaw, H.G. Wells, pretty much all of the people that Chesterton debated, either in person or in print. Uh, and Lewis noted that all of, these, all of these authors, he found them very thin, whereas people like G.K. Chesterton, he found them rich and much more reflecting of, of life and reality. So funny, um, <laughs> I've recently had the experience with Shaw that you read his first play and you're like, it's one, it's so deep. And then you keep reading and you're like, they're all the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that's, that's great though. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, of Newman when he was, you know, looking at the Catholic church and, oh, I wish I could be Catholic except that it's Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny, in Surprised by Joy, he even makes the comment, he says that yeah, I, I noted earlier that I regarded Chesterton as the most sensible man alive apart from his Christianity. So the trouble mm. was, is after reading The Everlasting Man, he said he would never articulate it because it would reveal it as nonsense. But after he read that, he thought Christianity itself was very sensible apart from the Christianity. You know, he, <laughs> he had a lot of baggage that he needed to work through. Mm. Mm. So what about yourself, David? Uh, is Chesterton or has Chesterton sort of impacted you in a personal way? I mean, I know you're a Lewis guy. I, I, won't, uh, mm -hmm. I won't put that to the side. But, <laughs> uh, you know, Chesterton being the large figure that he was, you know, has he, had, uh, has he had a play in your life? It was about the time that I came to the States was the first time I started trying to read Chesterton. I started Orthodoxy because everybody does that. And I did what everybody else did. I abandoned it. I got stuck. Uh, and then about six months later, I had another go, this time with an audiobook, and got through it. And I think I also had a very common reaction. Wow, that was amazing. So many insights. I have no idea what he was talking about. Uh, <laughs> so that is actually a book that I've returned to many times. And actually, from the date of recording, this Saturday, I'm meeting with my brothers-in-law, because we have many of them here in Wisconsin now, uh, and we are going to go through orthodoxy. So that, that one is a, is a text that's been particularly important to me for many reasons, but also I keep hearing Lewis in, in Chesterton. And you don't have to read much of either before you start noticing that there are some real commonalities. Uh, I actually had Dale Alquist on our show and uh, he made some sarcastic comment that once you've discovered Chesterton, you don't need to read Lewis anymore because it's all there in Chesterton. And he and I have a standing invitation to duel at some point uh, to, <laughs> to finally sort that out. But, I mean, for example, the, the trilemma is one that's very famous uh, and it's very often associated with Lewis, the idea that Jesus is either uh, a liar, a lunatic or Lord. The thing is, even before 
Lewis put pen to paper, he had read The Everlasting Man, where Chesterton gives his own articulation of that dilemma. Uh, another thing that any Lewis person will know is that Lewis was constantly railing against what he called chronological snobbery, this idea that new ideas are inherently better than old ideas because they're new and fashionable. But once again, long before Lewis ever ever even started to fight that, Chesterton had written about the democracy of the dead and how tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. So they make a really good pairing, Lewis and Chesterton, because you come across the same ideas, very similar ideas, uh, in both authors, and both of them excelling in the way that they excel. You know, when, when you read Chesterton, he takes you on a journey. Sometimes you don't quite know where you're going and you suddenly find yourself at an unexpected uh, point of arrival, uh, which can be delightful. And then other times it's really nice when somebody just gets to the point and tells you, tells you the point, which is what Lewis will often do. So, uh, you know, I've, I've loved Chesterton for, for that reason. And also my wife is host of Pints for Chesterton, so she's kind of a fan. So <laughs> Chesterton is important to me by proxy in that way. And I remember, I don't think we were married yet. I bought her The Woman Who Was Chesterton uh, by Nancy Brown. And Marie absolutely loved that. And she kept raving about uh, Gilbert and Francis's marriage. And so um, it, the, the more personal impact that Chesterton has had on me is uh, my attempts to emulate uh, their own marriage. Uh, a jewel to the death, no doubt, but one that's also filled with uh, lots of silliness. Beautiful, beautiful. I, I, I have a feeling Chesterton would, would approve of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to sort of ask the last big question because we're getting close here to, to the end. And I'm curious as to why Lewis, who was an atheist who discovers Christianity, uh, is there insight into is why he made... Christianity so prevalent in his writings? Because it would have been understandable. He says, hey, I, I, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I accept all the teachings of, of our Savior. Now I'm just going to write my books because I like to write. But why does he really make it so prominent that you can tell, okay, I know he's writing about Jesus. I know this is a depiction of the gospel. Why, why is that? Well, the five-year-old me would completely disagree and would say that you're making the same mistake that my mother was making. Aslan is a lion, not a man. Um, <laughs> Walter Hooper was Lewis's secretary in the final few months of his life. And he described Lewis as the most thoroughly converted man in England. That when he discovered the truth and beauty of Christianity, he was all in. And much like the disciples, he couldn't stop writing and speaking about what he had seen and heard. And so I, I think he felt a, a real debt that needed to be repaid. In the preface to Mere Christianity, he was talking about why he wrote this book and saying that he wasn't going to get into doctrinal disputes, etc. He just wanted to help the his fellow countrymen or Englishmen on the street um, to come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he said that that was where the line was thinnest. There, was, there wasn't much help in that regard. And so he said, to it, I naturally went. So he saw a clear need uh, and went to it. And in other of his essays, he basically tells the clergy that 
I'm just going to have to keep doing this until you guys start doing it. Um, <laughs> he just he just saw it as uh, something that needed to be done and communicated in a way that was clear and winsome. Uh, and this was something that Lewis himself learnt because prior to the writing of Mere Christianity, prior to the radio addresses, which they were based on, he would travel around RAF bases, so air bases in England, giving talks. And they initially didn't go very well, uh, probably because the titles of his talks were things like Soteriology and the Pauline Epistles. And that just went <laughs> whooshing over everybody's head. And more importantly, they just didn't care. So as he was giving those talks, he changed the way that he was communicating. Um, and so to speak to you know, the, the common man. And he knew that this was something that he just had to do. And it just kept leaking out in all of his writings rather than just the explicitly Christian ones. And that actually nicely ties in with Lewis's own conception of myth. Uh, when he looked back into the classic myths of the Greeks and the Romans and the Norse, he saw the Christian story. And in mere Christianity, he describes this as a way that God was communicating with the world. And this is actually a very similar argument that you find among the church fathers, that while God was preparing the Israelite people through, explicitly through the prophets, he was preparing the pagan world through their poets, through these myths, through these stories, communicating eternal truths under another kind of veil. And so when you look back on those stories with Christian lenses, and uh, Dr. Lewis Marcos has got this wonderful book where he does exactly this. He goes back through all of those myths, looking at them with Christian eyes, and he sees the gospel there in a preparatory form, in a veiled form, but it's still the same story. And I think you see something happen similar with Lewis. Uh, he can't help but communicate Christian truth, even if he is talking about literary criticism or the meaning of words. Very well said. I, uh, I, I appreciate that Lewis just basically didn't shy away from trying to share the faith. You know, it wasn't just one book. It was such a large swath of his writings that basically it's like, hey, I'm going to try and help people learn about Jesus. Lion mm. or man, you know, his, <laughs> uh, his attempts were, were, not, uh, were not in vain. Um, David, we've got to wrap up, uh, but if you were going to tell people who have not read Lewis, you're going to say, start here. I know you said, like, pick a, pick a genre and go, but if you were going to suggest one book to introduce people to Lewis, what would you say? Oh, it's so difficult. Just one. Just one. Just one. I know, I know. You could, you could hear that. I was going to say, well, if. No, I, 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 would, I would say, pick up the copy of the Screwtape Letters. It is hilarious. It is insightful. Um, and for people that don't know the work, it's uh, the fictitious letters from a senior demon to a junior demon about how to tempt a human who has recently converted to Christianity, how to tempt this person and get him to go to hell. And people asked Lewis, how did you get all of this insight? Was it from reading the mystics, etc.? And he did read them and got an awful lot out of them. But he said, no, I just know my own heart. So you will read the Screwtape Letters and you will hear some advice that the senior demon gives to his nephew and realize that this is the same sort of lie that you've fallen for again and again and again. So I think particularly during the time of Advent, this is, this is a good time for an examine. Uh, and uh, and C.S. Lewis helps us resist the devil. Wonderful. Ladies and gentlemen, we have had the pleasure of 
talking with David Bates, one of the hosts of Pints with Jack. If you would like to learn more about Lewis, whether it be podcast or writings, uh, head over to their website, pintswithjack.com, and have yourself a breakfast or an evening pint as you enjoy the website. Uh, and David, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us. Thank you very much. And yes, this is actually a good time to start listening to us because in the new year, we are starting a new book. We're going to be reading Out of the Silent Planet. Mm. Wonderful. Gretlin, also always so glad to have you with us. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Albert. Always a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, remember this is Uncommon Sense. And you can find more of our episodes at chesterton.org forward slash Uncommon Sense or find us on most of your major podcast directories. We are always so thankful to have you listening. We hope that you will continue to join us for more episodes. And as always, remember, Chesterton is always better with friends. Talk to you next time. I hope you enjoyed that, and as I said in the introduction, I'll be posting another episode next week, which will be the address that I gave to the Oxford C.S. Lewis Society. I hope you're all having a wonderful Advent, and we'll see you very soon, when we'll continue going further up and further in. Cheers! <laughs>